Welcome to Author News Weekly, the weekly news show by authors for authors. We read the news so you don't have to. Join our panel of best-selling authors each week as we take a deep dive into the publishing world, both indie and traditional. Author News Weekly. Yeah, whatever. Welcome back to Author News Weekly. I'm Ari McGee. Thanks for joining us this week. I am joined by the best trio in history. Better than Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Better than the Three Musketeers. I'm out of Cleopatra, triplets. Mark Antony. Um, and Julius Caesar. And Julius, Julius Caesar. <laughs> yes, which is very applicable because I always thought Jim had kind of a Mark Anthony look going on. Oh, I thought so. you were going to say Cleopatra. Sure. Sure. Mark no. Anthony, Ricky Martin, <laughs> J Lo, Iglesias, <laughs> Manudo. All right. In any event, an amazing trio. I'm out of trios. So, Mr. Jim Heskett. Hello. Thanks for having me. <laughs> this is like your house. It's like you just thanked someone for being at your own house, which was awkward, but okay. You're I'm welcome. So grateful. You're welcome I'm for so being grateful. here. Uh, next, we've got. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me too. Thanks for uh, keeping me on the group chat where you have the link. <laughs> oh yeah, hey, you know, anytime you're already on there, so it'd be too much work to boot you off. So you <laughs> just keep sending it. And last but not least, a man who is living his best life right now, Mr. Nick Thacker. Am I the Cleopatra or the Mark Antony or the Julius Caesar in this? It's you're important Caesar. to know you're Caesar. <laughs> I'm, you I'm need Caesar. to okay. schedule supply lines and things like that, depending on which of these people you are. <laughs> Not really a logistics guy, got to admit, but I'll I'll take it. <laughs> right on. I'm more of a cross the Rubicon and ask for forgiveness, not permission kind of guy. <laughs> gotcha. I gotcha. Okay. So I would say that, that my favorite warmongering hero from history has always been Hannibal, right? Because I think like riding elephants over the Alps is pretty badass. So- are you a Caesar guy, Nick? Is that what it is? or You know, I think Hannibal is probably up there in the top three. I think Alexander the Great would have to be as far as, you know, historic conquerors. Yeah, I think maybe Julius Caesar, though, just because, uh, yeah, I think I probably just know more about Roman history than... At Cartago de Lenda Est. Yes, that. There was a Roman senator who would end every single one of his speeches, regardless of the topic, with at Cartago de Lenda Est, and Carthage must be destroyed. Uh, oh, brought that to mind. <laughs> nice, nice. So my man Hannibal was getting under everybody's skin. I, I like it. He's living rent free in the Senate's head. So, <laughs> in any event, all right. Before I ramble on more about history, let's get ready. Wait, no, I don't have the song. I don't have it. So, not Jim, what about your favorite historical <laughs> warring conqueror? Oh, you sorry, know, it's not going to be ready. I just, you know, you can ask the gym all you want, but it's not <laughs> getting great more ready. To choose from, where do I start? I don't know. <laughs> you don't know? Can't Anybody? Just can't, can't pick one. Uh, no, I mean, there's just too many. No, Napoleon? No, you know, Genghis Khan. That's a solid choice. Genghis ah, Khan's a solid choice. Genghis Khan. I like Genghis Khan. I yeah. did like the whole thing where he would marry his daughters off to people. And then send the husband off to the front line and be like, oh, she'll run it while you're gone mm -hmm. forever. Yeah. Dead. Forever. <laughs> hey, you got to respect someone who will stab you and will out politic you at the same time. So mm -hmm. good times. Well, since we're not going to have the drop and last week we made poor Jim beatbox the drop. We won't do that to him again <laughs> this week. Uh, let's just go into story number one. All right. So. This is coming to us this week from recently interviewed on the show, Mr. 
Dave Chesson, the Kindlepreneur himself, he came out with a very, very extensive list on how to sell your book is really what it's called. How to sell your book on Amazon. It's 70 marketing tips. And some of them are a little basic. And some of them are maybe things that you maybe have not thought about, depending on how far into your author journey that you are. There's a couple of them that are right off the bat. You know, number one is collect an email list, right? Which we would all agree on. Number two is utilize the best email service, which I think is maybe a little subjective, but utilize the best email service you can for what you're trying to accomplish. You know, number three is convince your email list to leave reviews. So I think this is a pretty good list. What on all of these tips that you guys saw kind of stuck out to you as really a terrific use of your time or an absolute like ditch pig waste of time? Mm. I'd say I love the interact with your readers thing. I know that Nick will <laughs> will be on the other side of this. You're gonna but, start him so pass. soon. <laughs> so soon. Pass. But um but the thing is that there's later a whole bunch that are, you know, use Instagram, use whatever this is. And I think to stick with interact with your readers in the way that works for both you and for them. So not everyone's readers are going to be on Instagram and not all of them are going to want to see freebies or whatever the heck it is. See you dancing around on TikTok. No one wants to see me dancing on TikTok. So, <laughs> so my readers, you know, I have to engage in different places. And so I think leaving that one and then the having the specifics be something else is where I'd go on this. Okay. Jim, what you got, man? Well, I think if you read through all 70 of those items, the only thing on the list that you absolutely have to do is number one, and that's start a newsletter. I think there were some things on there that were probably better for nonfiction authors, like starting a YouTube channel and guest blogging. Those things don't have a whole lot of value for fiction authors. So there's a number of those that were like that, that were probably better for people who were trying to build a platform than people who are trying to sell books. I gotcha. Yeah, I would add to Jim's thing that I don't know that it's crucial for fiction authors to do networking with other authors. I think that's a bonus, something that's potentially helpful in our career if you're looking for co-writers and things like that. But if you're nonfiction, that's where going to conferences with other authors and rubbing shoulders and stuff is really... Because you're actually in the midst of people who would buy your book if you're a nonfiction author all the time. But if you're a fiction author, it's not necessarily, you're not going to be networking with people that are going to want to buy your book. You know what I mean? They're all, everyone's trying to sell everybody else's. Everyone's trying to sell to everybody else. Mm. Fiction authors. Mm. But no, overall, it's a great list. I mean, there's a lot of stuff here. I think you can probably get through all these things in an hour or two, you know, pretty easy. Yeah. No, that, yeah. That's sarcasm for you folks. There's 70 yeah. things on here and each one of them is like a week long, <laughs> you know, they're all great. I don't think I would disagree with them with any of them necessarily. I think it's all just a very well. It doesn't take much time list. to outsource so. them to Fiverr. So that's true. That's <laughs> true. Big ups to Titan. Big ups to Titan. In any event, of the seventy things, I'll be the first to say that my biggest stumbling block on all of them is use Instagram because I had never been on Instagram and wasn't into it at all. And then I decided, oh, maybe I'll get on there and do book stuff. And now. I just suck my time away just watching random And you're things. planning a wedding and all sorts of stuff of your furniture. I'm like, man, I should really start deadlifting again. <laughs> I go, what bar is he using? You know, so it's real <laughs> awkward. So I would caution you that maybe if you have a leak in your game and my leak is wasting time on social media, maybe be careful with some of the things that you're injecting into your plan because maybe they'll hurt you more than they'll help you. But, yeah, I think my best advice with this list is, you know, everything's good on here, but not everything might be good for you right now mm -hmm. as an author because there's no way you can focus on all seven. There's no way you could focus on more than one of these things, to be completely honest with you, at a time. 
you know, I think the first four kind of gelled together, you know, they all involve email lists and stuff. But I think the approach I would take is if I were just getting started, I would love a list like this, but I would also love a list that was kind of more organized in terms of what to do first. Yeah. And I don't know that. You know, yeah. Dave hasn't done that for us. And so I think as a new author, I would probably look at this and try to do it myself and try to say, okay, what am I going to really focus on first? And number 70 on the list is write a great book. That might be the first thing I focus on. <laughs> While I'm doing that, I might focus on the first four, you know, like, hey, let's really get this email thing figured out. Mm. And only when I feel comfortable with those first four, would I go to, okay, now let's think about how to use part of that email list as like a launch team, you know, number five. And so, and I would just basically try to make this, I love making plans. I hate following plans, but I love making them as Jim can attest. And so, you know, I would love to put these things together in, in the terms of like what to do first, second, third, all that, and then just try to work the plan as much as I can and try to hit as many of these 70 as you can. It probably seems like a good place to start for most authors. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Good times. Good times. All right. So we will have that in our show notes. You guys can take a look at that. If you want to try to start working through those and seeing if you can get some benefit to your author career. All right. So our second story here is kind of weird. And, you know, Nick, you actually just touched on conferences a second ago. And so that's a perfect segue into this. It's from Writers Helping Writers. It's written by James Scott Bell, who I guess is a resident writing coach. And it's basically how to act like a professional. It says, now that in-person conferences are back, it's a good time to review proper etiquette for these gatherings. And so he says, his premise is the overwhelming majority of writers I've seen make it are those who look and act like a professional. I don't know what to think about that sentence in general. Uh, but then he launches into some tips on how to have some success at these conferences. And did you guys get a chance to look at this? What do you guys think about this list? I'll just tell you right off the bat, like I freaking love James Scott Bell. His writing advice is second to none. <laughs> I think he's qualified to tell us how to write books. I'm not sure he's qualified to tell me what to wear at a conference. <laughs> I mean, I don't think, uh, speak ill of him or whatever, but this quote, the overwhelming majority of writers I've seen make it are those who look and act like a professional. He's this is just one of those like- problem. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like, okay, well, are the people who are successful the ones who like act a certain way or is it because they're acting that way, they're successful? Well, um, and does he have a good sample rate of the people who are making it or not? Exactly. Is he just looking around going, I like people who are dressed in business attire. Therefore, these business attire folks will must be the most successful ones when, you know, meanwhile, I'm walking around and like freaking, what are those things? The American Eagle used to sell things called dorm pants. Uh, they were like... <laughs> Super awesome, like super long, like squishy pants that you just you know slide around in, and like a ripped T-shirt. Squishy, and I'm probably pants. squishy. Yeah, yeah, squishy. It's a term that <laughs> that means the pants are like really good for laying on the couch and making out with your girlfriend. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. I think maybe that nobody on this panel is in the target demographic for this article. <laughs> you know, this article sounds like probably pretty good advice for basement dwelling hermits who are venturing out to their first conference. <laughs> if you've never been to a conference before and don't know how to comport yourself public wise, maybe this is a good article to read. But, you know, we're all we've all been around for a while. So it seems kind of juvenile and unnecessary to us. Yeah, I will definitely say I mean, he covers it sort of in courtesy, but it doesn't really go far enough, in my opinion. To this day, the vast majority of business opportunities I've gotten across industries have been me falling into bass backwards by just being nice to people and being helpful to people. Right. And I honestly think that's probably the best way to do it. And you think about any industry where you can get away with not looking like a corporate shill is probably yeah. fiction writing. And I'm like, obviously, yeah, wash your face. But, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Beyond I'm that, you want a beard? Okay, fine. I don't care. A tattoo sleeve to 
keep myself from going back into corporate. <laughs> like, all you, all your book covers. Right on your neck, dude. <laughs> right on your neck. R.A. McGee rules. <laughs> Nick Sacker neck shot trademark. <laughs> I love it. it should be like a yeah. bullet hole. <laughs> <laughs> so if uh, if you are interested in grooming yourself for a, a conference, uh, this article talks about Make sure you groom yourself and don't have stinky breath. Yeah, don't smell is always solid advice. Yeah, I find that that's pretty helpful just in all walks of life. Like, don't be the stinky person, you know, and you're good to go. All right, so that was an interesting one. Now we're going to fly across the pond, right, to Nick's favorite island. And I want is it to Ireland? Talk. Is it Scotland? It's you're close. You're close. This comes to us from the Guardian. And this is actually interesting. <laughs> I don't really know how to unpack all this right now, but I was interested in the article. And yeah, it, uh, I love this article. It says that there has been, three years ago, a small group of academics at a German university launched an unprecedented collaboration with the military, using novels to try to pinpoint the world's next conflicts. Are they on to something? How are they even trying to do this? Like, what is going well, was- on? interesting was i mean they were kind of using novels right but they weren't reading novels to try to that was what i had assumed was that they were going to look at novels and be like what are authors predicting but a huge piece of it was how different countries were not censoring highlighting exporting the books and the reception they got which makes sense but it's very interesting that's interesting. Yeah, I haven't read the the full article. I was skimming it, and I was interesting because the, one of the first things they say is they are not AI specialists or scientists or political analysts. I'm like, well, then what are they? It's just this like stuffy professors that are sitting in a room getting to choose which books are. So I was a little confused as well, but that makes sense to me. I think they're probably without really digging into it. It seems like they're probably going to need a much bigger sample set than what just a few humans are able to pull together, right? I did like the part where they talked about they were really worried that they were going to have, you know, sit-ins and protests and yeah. people graffitiing <laughs> and just like no one took them seriously enough to do that. Yeah, yeah. People are writing because Chick-fil-A is out of sauce. They don't yeah. care about your futurist war book stuff. It's true. But I think it is a fascinating idea. There's been plenty yeah. of stuff that's been predicted or plenty of ways in which the science fiction, particularly zeitgeist, has been very reflective of what's coming down the pike. So oh. to, to, like, to, to, to oversimplify this, would, would you say, like, is this article basically saying like, okay, Iran has just banned three published books that all feature like a library being bombed. Therefore, we can predict that they're going to try to bomb a library. Is that kind of what they're trying to do here? So it's saying all of a sudden we're seeing this one theme crop up or all of a sudden any, forget which country it was, I think it was Kuwait, uh, a whole bunch of books featuring one specific ethnic minority all got censored. And about 10 years later, there was an ethnic cleansing of that Mm. minority. Mm. And so it's stuff like that that's, um, or like uh, the country of Georgia, was started like exporting a whole bunch of books that were anti-Armenian right before one of their ethnic cleansings and wars. And so it's this sort of, oh, you can see where things are cropping up. Okay. Um, and yeah. they pointed to it as one piece of a larger thing. So someone saying that in Bosnia, for instance, there was a huge drop in the number of interfaith marriages before the genocide. And so they were saying, this is, are these books and the reception to them tapping into something that we can predict before it gets violent? 
Yeah. So like one of the examples that they have in here is in reference to Algeria. Uh, and it's, you know, they're saying how Algeria was a country that was mostly quiet during Arab Spring and they only have about 50% voter turnout. And, you know, they say that's maybe indicative of political apathy or weariness and that they classify Algeria broadly as a stable country, like a stable state. But they say the trends in Algerian book publishing are hinting that there might be something beneath the surface. Someone's book that came out that was very popular over there is about people who were demonstrating and were violently dispersed. And then they have books that are kind of going back that are talking more about their violent past that are becoming popular. And also, you know, Le Fin du Monde, they talk about 1984 and stuff. And so they're saying that since these things are kind of gaining traction, that maybe it's indicative of the sentiment of kind of what's going on over there. This is a lot to unpack here. This is a long article too. Some minority report stuff. Right. Yeah. It's like the analog version of minority report. (laughs) (laughs) And it actually reminds me, uh, Neil Gaiman talked a while back about going over to China for a like party sponsored sci-fi and fantasy thing and went up to one of the party officials and was like, the last time I was here, you guys were not hot on this stuff. What's going on? They said, well, we looked at interviews with scientists in other countries and about what made them want to become scientists. And they were all citing the science fiction and fantasy that they'd read and seen. Mm. And so we decided that we wanted the science. So we Mm. needed to be sponsoring all of that stuff. And so it's, you know, it is very interesting to see how military and state uh, interact with fiction in those ways. What they can be harnessing, what they can be. That's pretty sneaky. That's pretty sneaky there. <laughs> pretty sneaky, China. Pretty sneaky, China. All right. So the next thing I have for us, not really an article or anything. It's more of a question. So inevitably, when I watch a movie, if it's based on a property, someone is going to tell me that the property was better than the movie, right? Like the comic was better. The video game was better. All that stuff. Can you guys think of an example? And this is just pure selfish curiosity. This has nothing to do with anyone who's listening to this but me. But can you guys think of a movie that you watch that you're like, damn, that's much better than the book or much better than the comic or or anything like that? Jim's got one. Yeah. Yeah. The only one I can think of is it's not a movie, but the TV show Dexter. Mm. is better than the, i read the first book and was mm. very disappointed i mean the show is a mixed bag too you know some seasons are better than others but in mm-hmm. general i thought the show was pretty good book meh. you got a point yeah that what was it darkly dreaming dexter or something I think was that was the, the first, first one? one yeah it was a hard read dude it's like weird first person stuff i think yeah I, 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 right. I think i just remembered it being a mix of like cheesy dad jokes and mm. grotesque <laughs> really disturbing horror <laughs> and it was like tonally kind of all over the place that I just didn't. <laughs> but someone saw that and was like, you know what format this is actually meant for. <laughs> yeah. Who are these visionaries? Well, that's something that I often think about because there have been a few times that I am probably not going to have enough sales that this will ever be a thing. But there mm-hmm. have been occasional books where I've written down a scene that I was not able to make work because I can see it so clearly in my head mm-hmm. and it just doesn't work mm-hmm. as a written scene. I'm like, well, I'll just keep that there in case it's mm. ever no i'm like, with yeah. you i'm with you I, as a matter of fact there's something that i've been batting around in my head for a while that i finally decided i don't think i have the ability to write it and i'm gonna try to see if i can hire a freelance comic person to draw it i think we have a there better chance yeah. of getting it drawn then because my writing is just 
it's not going to make sense. You know what I mean? What I'm trying to do. So I had a lot of that in the Mason Dixon series where I was like, it's all first person. So I'm trying to describe it, but it almost requires it to be described third person so I can get around the scene a little bit more. So yeah, notice that. So I think to answer your question, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for this. Let's get the pitchforks ready. Mm. Game of Thrones, just giant waste of paper. Like it's good. (laughs) It's just way too damn long. I mean, come on, dude, get it together. Much prefer watching that on TV. No, so joking aside, like I prefer Game of Thrones visually because I'm not a big fantasy reader. So that's really my excuse is I'm sure the books are great. I just couldn't make it through them. They're just too dense and too long. I loved it on TV, except the last season, but we don't talk about that. Naturally. Um, but the big thing for me is the music. Like a lot of these movies, well, no, every movie has music and none of the books do. And so that's really the big difference is you can't experience Harry Potter music in the book. And I've never read the Harry Potter books. So I'm not going to say that the movie's better. But the one example I was thinking of is Jurassic Park, I think works for me as a movie better just because it really gets the core. There's nothing that's really left out. I mean, sure, there's like little things that are left out, but like they got it. Like they got the nuance and covered it and captured it. And then John Williams comes in with his score and it's like, okay, this movie, this story was made to be seen, you know? Mm -hmm. And then you guys remember, I mean, that movie came out and like we hadn't seen dinosaurs that lifelike before. It was all our heads were exploding. Mm -hmm. And then what was it? Like we got Toy Story and Independence Day, like the same five year span or whatever, three year span. Like it was a good, it's a good time for movies Mm -hmm. back then. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, Jurassic Park. I'm making like I used to. <laughs> still holds up really well. Like I watched it with the girls maybe oh, a yeah. few months yeah. ago, and I was like, "Dude, I would still like this. Like this is still yeah. good." You know? Oh, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. Uh, very good. And right. on a completely different note, I would say Stardust, but I know that's probably not something that you've all seen. Oh, oh. Read. Excuse me. Excuse <laughs> me. Okay. I have definitely. Anytime I, I think can you mean see Star Wars or Star Trek, but that's okay. We'll <laughs> Robert De Niro cross dressing. You know, I've seen Robert De Niro cross dressing. Uh, <laughs> but I didn't, didn't read Stardust. Great book. Yeah. I liked a lot of the lore that was in the book a lot more than it was shown in the movie. I mm-hmm. thought the love story was much more compelling in the movie than it was in the. It felt like they got to the end of the story and the one half of the love pairing was just like, eh, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming to get me, but uh, <laughs> right on, right on. Well, good times, good times. So, yeah, that was just something I wanted to kind of chat you guys up about. Well, uh, I'm kind of taking a look at the time here, and I think we can call it for the week. You guys got any alibis or mulligans, anything you want to make up that we talked about? I'd like no? to double down on the fact that I hate my readers and the Brits. But other than that, I think <laughs> I think we'll do that. So, What if you put them in a cage match? Who are you rooting for? You have to root for somebody. Ooh. I think Author News Weekly needs to set up some kind of charity where every time Nick complains about the British, he has to donate money to something. Like Don't a swear jar. Maybe say it. Or like to the Scots <laughs> or the Irish. <laughs> the Scots. I think we can all agree on the Scots, right? They're pushing the for Scots. independence. Hey, <laughs> I'm down with it. I'm down with it. McGee. I like McGee, it. I'm down, man. Those are my people. So uh, every time I complain about a reader, I have to give one reader to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we're going to get them. I'll just time. email them. I'll just be like, hey, guys, you're no longer my fan. Um, I want to introduce you to Jim Heskett, your new fan. You're not going to buy new, this new author. I have CC'd Jim on this email so that he's aware. <laughs> he is ready to receive your uh, ever loving adoration. I love it. I swear <laughs> the stories would all be about fans and readers from now on, dude. You guys be like, man, there's a lot of stories about readers. Readers. Yeah, we're just priming Nick for a blow up. <laughs> ranting, man. It's too easy. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, good times. Uh, since we got nothing else, that's going to be it for the week. So 
Thank you for listening to Author News Weekly. Come back next week. We'll have more stuff. We'll jaw jack. If you have any tips or any stories that you want to give us, go check out our Facebook group. It's hanging out there in the ether, slowly building some momentum. We're working on the momentum. Matriculating <laughs> likes. Yes. And- it's a That's page, right. not a group, right? I don't know the difference. I don't know the difference. I'm going to take your word for it. I don't. There's something called Author News Weekly on Facebook. Come find us. That's right. That's (laughs) That's right. That's all. That's all we know. (laughs) It's a solid, mostly empty page, but we're working on it. So help us fill it up. Since there's nothing else, thanks for listening. I'm Ari McGee saying this meeting is over.